Uh, the connection was just made between all three rooms. Uh, welcome to the Karma Club. And Dr. Francine Hardaway is presently on Twitter Spaces. But what we're, we're doing is we're, we've always been multicasting. And this is Heyman. Uh, that's why you hear all these voices through me. Um, so we are currently connected through Clubhouse call-in app as well as Twitter spaces so that everyone uh, who wishes to be part of this conversation can be, uh, no matter what their region is and what their devices are. So we are now officially connected on all three platforms. This is the Karma Club, and every week we try to multicast as, as much as we can. And this week is really, really important because Nicholas Lyons is an expert in Web3 identity. And that is, that is a major thing we are going to have to know going forward. Because one of the pluses of Web3 is that we not only create the content, we not only consume the content, but we also... Can have the potential to own the, the content. So that's about all I want to say until the public discussion begins, because I I want uh, Nick Nicholas to begin to talk about why we need to know this and what and what it goes into knowing it. So, um, first of all, thanks very much. Do me a favor and introduce yourself because there are, there are a bunch of people here from Tech News, but there are also a bunch of people here from Karma Club who have absolutely no idea why, okay. why they're here. And Heyman has, Heyman has the link tree up. Yep, and the link tree has a link to... Another community Karma Club has, which is our community on on, on uh, Geneva, and the reason I'm doing that is because I'm I'm a person who wears a belt and suspenders. I've met fabulous people in Karma Club. I I love Clubhouse, but I if anything happens to Clubhouse. I don't want to lose all these connections. So I, and also I believe that there's a real reason for the community to talk to each other. And that is a very nice facet of Geneva. And you can, there are also other people on Geneva and there's also a major improvement in interface on on Geneva, so that's why I I'm trying out Geneva, and if you go to the link tree, you will all find your invitation to Geneva. Okay, all all technical issues being momentarily settled. Yep, they are, and you're loud and clear. Okay. I, I just want to get a reference from all the, uh, the audience. So uh, is everyone hearing uh, Francine okay on Clubhouse stage? Perfect. Great. And also on uh, call-in, yes, and as well as on Twitter spaces. Go ahead. 
This is what is known as a kludge. Okay, <laughs> Nicholas, tell us who you are. I was the one who dragged you over here because I want to know more about Web3 identity because I think it's a major identity improvement over what we're doing now, which is giving our data to everybody in order to be um, recognized on an app. And we get nothing for it, and the app gets the data. Sure. So, uh, very brief background on me. Um, my background is I were, I'm British-English, uh, living in uh, the U.S., and uh, currently in France. And my background is that I was a banker originally, a capital markets banker. I floated some 500 companies and raised about $92 billion. And then I ran the private funds group when JP Morgan acquired us and uh, raised uh, another $6 billion for private equity hedge funds, real estate funds, and venture funds. And uh, then I uh, got into the private capital markets and uh, the systematic hedge fund business and became exposed to machine learning in 2003 and built a systematic managed futures hedge fund. And I believe that the crypto industry has some uh, of its antecedents in that world. And um, I became interested in cryptography uh, early 2007 and then followed uh, along with what Bitcoin was doing in 2009 when it launched and then I uh, became more excited and more interested in 2014 um, when I saw the developments in the market and the evolution of different ways of using blockchains for creating value and I met uh, Michael Tutongi who's here at the uh, room with the, the fire burning on his uh, icon and when i met mike he exposed me to uh, his amazing community and the verus protocol which he had written this white paper that resonated extremely strongly with me and he was one of the few people that had understood the importance of identity so i'd been interested in identity for a very long time and understood that it was a critical pillar in building systems for the future and systems that captured value. And I'd obviously noted in my background as a banker and as a bank, as, as an advisor to um, VC funds, et cetera, that there was this asymmetric capital that was coming through the VC market. So at JP Morgan, I would advise pension funds and endowments on investments into VCs and private equity and, and hedge funds and things like that. But specifically in DC, I had seen that the limited partners like Norges Bank and the government of Singapore and these giant uh, allocators of capital were putting money towards ideas like Google, ideas like Uber, ideas like Airbnb. And they were using the asymmetry of their capital in order to create really what one would consider to be technocracies or duopolies or um, monopolies. And it was their ability to effectively buy network effects that I felt was pernicious and unfair and fundamentally corrupting what were capital markets and economic cycles. 
So that is to say that companies like Uber would subsidize 40 cents in every dollar, and they would drive out of business the yellow cab business, for example, and they would effectively make it so attractive economically that users would flock to their service and then they would change the deal on everybody. And that resonated with me because, of course, we've seen this with other network effects, so social media uh, businesses and uh, the way that they had no pressure to be profitable in an economic model because they were able to take money in on the basis that if they created a walled garden where they were the you know, the aggregator of the network effect, they would tax the network later. And so when I saw Mike's and the community's work in this seminal uh, paper that described how you could bring together security and identity and trading and all of these other key, what we call primitives, and that they were doing it in such a way that was public infrastructure and not the taxation of a network effect, not what we call rent seeking in economics. This was something that was, you know, really exciting to me. And I've been looking for protocols like this, certainly since 2014. And so by understanding that economics is evolving, by understanding that technology is the big brother or the panopticon or the demon that will know everything about humanity, the idea that that type of power would rest in the hands of economic allocators that was very, very small was very, very frightening to me. And it meant that all democracy was at risk and that all of the opportunity that has come through the market economy was potentially going to be co-opted by a very small group that I term the technocracy, that's Google, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, etc., and that there would be very little opportunity for regular people. And we call that, you know, people-powered technologies. And then, of course, I've been in tech news around the world and on Clubhouse during the pandemic, thanks to actually Bradley, who's here up in, uh, in the room. And he said to me, oh, why don't you go into Clubhouse? And we just talked about this in, in the tech news room. And I was like, well, I don't really want to you know, talk to people. But uh, Mike said to me, no, you know, you should probably go on and, and talk to people and, and, and try to see what their views would be and see whether you could connect with people. And then thankfully, Cheryl and the tech news team gave me the opportunity to speak to people. And then I realized that there was a lot of people who were feeling the same way. And that there were a lot of people that also didn't quite realize how pernicious the system had become and how it was cohering through finance, media, technology, and democracy. And so it was during this time that, you know, we'd been speaking more and more. And then, you know, the other day, Ben challenged uh, some of um, my assumptions rightly. Um, and it became clear that we needed to do a room to let people ask questions and to get people to really understand that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity because just like we've seen in China with the social credit system and just like we're seeing in Russia and in the Middle East, they have their own, you could say, internets and they are not open 
And we in the West have our own internet as well that is really dominated by what we would call surveillance capitalists, people who need to know everything about you in order that they can make money by selling you things. And so that's really the background, but I wanted to give Michael, Mike, we call him Mike, uh, but he says his name on here is Michael. I wanted to give Mike the opportunity to talk to all of you because he is, first of all, I'll give you some background. He was, because he's very humble. He is one of only 22 technical fellows in the history of Microsoft. He was the technical fellow in advertising. He's gonna correct me because I'm gonna get this somewhat wrong. Um, he was the uh, lead architect on the Windows 95 kernel. He was the founder and uh, lead on .NET. And he has an amazing rounded capability to understand Nicholas, only how... Nicholas, before you launch into that, just to could I... Intro, so just to tell you why I think Hold on, special. hold on, Dr. Francine. Hold on. Uh, yes, Nicholas. So he, he has the comprehension of how the computer works in terms of the CPU. He has the comprehension of how large scalable systems work and he has the deep conviction of understanding that we have a unique opportunity to harness these new technologies using cryptography plus all of the scale systems that he's contributed to building that gives us this unique opportunity and it is extremely rare the only opportunity, and ben, ben and I have talked about this before, the only um, person that I've seen do this previously is Satoshi, who has understood that this has to be done in such a way that is truly altruistic, that you cannot set yourself up by doing taking VC money or doing an ICO. You have to do it in a fair launch manner. And that is something that is exceedingly rare. And I looked at thousands of protocols and Ben yeah. made the point. And one second, so Nicholas, sorry, one second. I think Francine wanted to chime in there. Francine, did you want to? Francine? Oh, I, I think. There you I go. want to ask, I want to ask Nicholas if he's familiar at all with the uh, work of the, the inter internet identity society. I, IIS, because my my friend Kevin Marks has been working sure. on internet identities, and I sure. and I'm sure that our guest would be familiar with that work. Sure. We are we are familiar with uh, Kevin and the work of the IIS, and we're also familiar with um, other members like uh, Stina from Ubico um and uh, many of the other people that are in the in the traditional identity world which is tends to be dominated by corporations in general but but that's why i wanted to give you the unique picture of mike because not only does mike come from that world and i'm going to let him give that overview because when you've been inside these uh, mega organizations you get to understand the nature of the organization and the nature of the power that they hold and uh, IIS has also has done good things. I do think that they are um, a, a force for good, but I think that they are still within a previous dimension, which is corporate led, which is natural. But I think that what we have the opportunity to discuss today is something that is truly novel. And I always compare it to Edison and, 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 and the light bulb is that this is something so powerful that if we can really understand and we can be challenged today 
to explain this, and I will defer to Mike on all of this, um, that would be something that would be really valuable for the world. And I think it would be really valuable for, for the Karma Club so that we can start to socialize what is a major advance in the world's uh, opportunity and technologies for the world. And uh, Michael, this is Heyman. I've, I've actually made your mod, so you'll appear on the top. And if you don't mind for the audience's sake as well, uh, again, the audiences are joining us from three different platforms, Clubhouse, Call-In, as well as Twitter Spaces, to also speak in also a general term to understand why, as, as the title would state, is it's a blockchain digital identity. Why and how? I think you picked the wrong Michael there. The Michael ah. is the is the one with the fire. Oh. Okay. No, it's the same. Okay, you got two Michael, same two accounts. All right, that's fine. Go ahead, Michael. Okay, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Great. And you were. I, I didn't understand what you wanted from me specifically because you. It sounded like you wanted me to speak to a specific topic right away. No, no. Uh, there's basically uh, Nicholas. Uh, the the point of the room was to understand digital uh, identity for the blockchain. And we know from our interactions with Nicholas uh, over the, uh, the months and so forth, how important it is that going forward that people have sovereign identities. So the idea is now is to uh, go back to the basics and understand why it's important. And then also maybe go okay. into more into your role in this, uh, in this space. Sure. Okay. And I was just so asking for his historical context because I've been watching this identity space for maybe 20 okay. years. Okay, yeah, sounds good. So my, my background, actually, I'm going to start just a little bit uh, with that, because Nick did, in fact, um, I don't have anything to correct uh, in what he said. Um, I was involved in a number of other things as well. Uh, started the Java platform at Microsoft in the early days of Internet Explorer, and uh, back in, you know, around the time after Windows 95 was released, um, I started looking at ways that we could approach the Internet because, as everyone you know, knows, Microsoft, during the time we were doing Windows 95, didn't have a focus on that as much. And identity back then was, to me, clearly a critically important component so I wrote a paper for Bill Gates Think Week talking about, you know, Microsoft 2000 back in the 90s. And, and the idea was that, you know, we needed to understand how identity related to everything else. And so I included some description of how we might be able to do peer-to-peer -peer, um, payments and, and using... Uh, hashes and signatures, but it was not a blockchain. Um, it was more of a peer-to-peer -peer system and it still depended because it was trying to fit into the practical world on these um, large centralized institutions that would issue and control the identity or the certificate model for the cryptography and digital signatures upon which it was based. You know they would control and rent certificates, which is, which is what happens today, generally speaking, in a lot of industries that use this kind of technology. And, you know, when you're born, you have the ability 
to scratch your mark on you know in the sand on something you mature and we call this your signature you know and it's unique just like your fingerprint and it identifies and, and certifies that you um marked that thing and we've worked over human history to figure out how to identify that and now that we enter the digital realm and and the internet starts to take off you know as nick mentioned um companies have swooped in and and unfortunately i have to say you know i definitely have been had helped in that quite a bit because as a technical fellow over the ad platform there were lots of scalable technologies that i built that could get a clearer picture of everyone and and so they basically swooped in and said okay when it becomes digital you no longer have the ability to just do that yourself you need to rent the ability to do that from us and then you can fit into the digital world and that isn't what we need as a species to move forward and be able to really leverage this technology to our collective benefit because it's it's just a way to create um you know gatekeepers that will increasingly be the gatekeepers regardless of how many years we look forward more and more entrenched and so instead what we need as a species is a way for all of us to collaborate to work together to identify each other as we want people to be able to identify us or as we need to identify people for certain reasons and no more just like in the real world where you walk into a store and you know there's not a person at the door of a Starbucks or of just a mall or or some you know public restroom saying um show me your name address you know telephone number and other information about you before you can walk into this door it's just it wouldn't be acceptable and with digital identities and and whether it's you know the work that Kevin Marks is doing or other people are are doing in the DIDs or you know the general understanding in digital identity and this has been so for a long time i actually remember a Microsoft executive retreat with the, I think I was a vice president at that time not uh, as I think I was running a, a division not a technical role and um and we had a meeting with Chuck Thacker and other people who were at the very beginning of this and they had this concept of you could create identities that could be provable but I think there's there's some sound my identities yes i've muted i i'd like to, you to take a 50 Stop, steps right. back and <laughs> sure. define what we me, mean what we by identity in the digital world why isn't my email address uh, and and pardon me but i'm used to explaining this to ordinary people not technical fellows um and i want to know why our email address is not our digital identity why our google.com sign in isn't our digital identity what is wrong with those forms of identity 
that we need this kind of identity. Even cell phone numbers, right? Because we're using cell phones to log sure. on to each of these apps. Sure. Well, it's, it's kind of related to why it doesn't make sense to put a video screen on your refrigerator. There are different timescales for different aspects of your life. Your identity is actually you. It isn't any of these things. And all of these things, whether it's an email address or a phone number, these are technologies that you use at a point in time. They don't prove something about you, really. They're not truly secure by any cryptographic means. So you don't, you're not able to take your email address and, and you know, go to a bank and do anything with commerce just with an email address unless you also have a company running an email server connecting you with the back end in a way that this other entity that you went to to use your email address would trust and you actually use that system back and forth with your email to kind of show that you are who you expect to be. So an identity is in fact a representation of you and it isn't more. And the different forms of representation of you, whether it's a phone number or an email, these are really company owned um, identifiers that the company can prove is connected to you through you using your driver's license or passport or, you know, some kind of billing relationship with that company that allowed them to prove it was you. And then they use digital technologies that are accepted by other companies to vouch for you, whether it's about your phone number or your email or these other things in some way or other. And so what we're saying is th this way of relying on someone you effectively pay, whether you pay them because you're looking at ads and giving them all your data that they can know more about you than yourself and showing you, you know, ads that will make you most maximally respond with your pocketbook, whether they're, you're paying them that way, or you're paying them with money, you're paying them to vouch for you with information that is in fact provable about you, that you are you. So, the other thing is that, you know, when you're doing applications on the other side of it, you want to know that people are really not just bots. You want to, there are lots of things you need to know about <clears throat> the identity. And so what we're saying, and I think what everyone who's working in this decentralized or what people might think they're working on decentralized identity, what we're saying is that this is a relationship that you now with technology, with cryptography can, and with blockchain, you don't need an intermediary. You don't need a company to prove anymore. You can actually prove and own things. And these are not just technologies that will only last for a point in time. These are designed to last and last and last. And if we stop using phone numbers and we start using another form of ID, then you can associate that and prove it connected to your digital identity. Um, these are really primitive cryptographic uh, primitives, they're cryptographic primitives that allow you to go beyond a private key 
it abstracts the concept of the, you know, people say, um, how do you deal with, you know, losing your private keys or having someone steal your private keys? And that's something actually that we've been thinking about for a long, long time. And most people working in digital identity don't solve that issue. Most of the digital identity specs don't solve that issue. And when you think about how your identity relates to money, in most of the decentralized identity systems that are not using the newest forms of human money, you know, cryptocurrencies, um, are not really addressing the fact that you own things with your identity. You're at, you own things. And your decentralized, non-rented, and that's really important because there are some identities out there that claim to be decentralized identities and you have to pay for them every year. That's really not the same as what we're talking about. So if you have an identity, that identity should also enable you to provably own things to the same degree that you might own, say, Bitcoin or Ethereum or Verus. And, and so why in the rooms process. that I have been in, and I, I, I hate to keep dumbing this down, no, but okay. Okay. I have a sense of audience that tells me not everybody understands it. And, and so I'm asking if I am in a Web3 room and I am, I supposedly have this self-sovereign identity, um, why, why am I still asked for my driver's license? if any money is ah. transacted. And if ah, this is okay. a stupid question, I mean it no, that way. It's a great question, actually, because this kind of goes to the heart. This is exactly the right question because I can give an example. So with a Veris ID, and actually with many of the digital identities that, that people think of as you know, decentralized or self-sovereign, but with a Veris ID specifically, you can prove any aspect of yourself that has that you could currently prove today without proving other aspects of yourself. So, for example, um, if you were to transact with a stock exchange or a company that required some form of KYC, which I think might be, which is know your customer for those who don't know what that is. Thanks. Where, where they need to understand um, who you are. And that might include verifying, you know, the, the KYC, the know your customer process means that a company based on their kind of business must follow regulations where they must know that they are interacting with someone who has, um, who they have access to their information and they can turn that information over to authorities if needed and et cetera, et cetera. So interestingly, the, I'm not a lawyer, so this is not legal advice. I need to say that in a, in a public forum. When, um, one of these, when, when you go to one of these companies, as long as that company would be able to have access to your information somehow if needed, if requested by authorities, and as long as they have reason to believe, like, like reasonable um, 
evidence to believe that, and, and that can be as defined by the companies, that you are following all of the regulations in terms of KYC and other related kinds of regulations, then they can do business with you and they actually don't directly have to know in doing that business who you are and they don't have to see your driver's license. And so if you have an ID where you can go and you can say, um, well, this great company, Archetype Value or whoever the company is, you know, JP Morgan or whoever it is, um, holds my information and will be able to give it up and I can prove that I am Mike or a Michael Tatongi. That's all you need to know about me. And if you, and I can prove with my identity that I am this person, that I am certified by JP Morgan with this, or uh, not, you know, whatever company it happens to be, um, with this uh, KYC, know your customer certification that you, the other company, would trust. And that if you ever are contacted by authorities, you could go to them and get all my information. And all of this is provable. And I don't have to show them my license and I don't have to show them any other information and it could happen in an instant. Okay, how do we get one of these? Who needs one? Well, <laughs> and and are we gonna end up with a world in which some people do have them and many other people don't yet? That's also a perfect question because the Veris protocol basically ensures that we won't end up in a world like that. Um, we have, the Veris protocol is, you know, I'm a developer in the Veris protocol and we have a large community of people worldwide who contribute and, and it's an open community. People can come learn, contribute, be part of it. And, and the protocol is rent free. And, and I don't know if um, Nicholas has said this before, but I, I know he alluded to rent at the beginning. What that means is that any community or organization or government or company can in fact launch their own part of the network as long as they really justify using that much of a network. They can either use someone else's part or another community's part or other parts of the network as they are on the blockchains that are already running or they can create a new blockchain and a new part of the network and all currencies on the network or on Ethereum or you know, other parts of the network on other communities chains can be sent across the network, across different chains to that. And so they can define the prices of their IDs. They can define the way that those IDs are issued and no one takes something from that. So if it's a, country in an emerging part of the world or you know emerging um, society they can define their ideas to fit their economy and they can create a kind of a part of this digital network that includes commerce and that includes currency launches that they create and that they do business with and that and they can send fiat currencies whether you know dollar or other stable coins or ethereum or bitcoin to their economy they can use it within their economy. They can use it with their identities. They can store it on their identities. They can secure the funds with features that include, you know, revocation and recovery and things like that that don't require centralized authorities. 
and they don't have to pay anyone. So, Michael, to do that. sorry, it's yeah. Heyman. I'm just wanted to. I know there's a lot of audience members also wish to ask more questions, but I'm curious from a from a basic standpoint. Currently, as it stands, we have identity that's based on our uh, region, location, right? Country, passports, driver's license. Uh, our telephone numbers may be in countries where we don't have that infrastructure. We have in the Africa, for instance, they've got the phones, which are mo uh, mobile ways to pay and so forth. Now, that is a form of identity. Now, what you're suggesting is a more of a decentralized form. Is that what I'm understanding? Like, rather than having countries do this setup, basically, you have a universal uh, principles of how to store identity safely and provide identity for people, right? So that they could have access, I mean, they could access the new economies, the new currencies. Now, that's going to be decentralized. How, like, you've come from a Web 2.0 world what were the issues you were trying to correct with the new identity like i'm just talking from a problem-based problem approach what were the problems before that you hope to solve now rather than like going into the more of the nitty-gritty details i'm just wondering what's a global idea of what the problem you want to solve that you saw in web 2 and it didn't get solved that you want to do better in web 3 with blockchain okay so that's a, a large large question but I'll try to make it short. So the, it wasn't that I, let's say you're at the uh, mall no, at a desk. Let me, let, yeah. let me, let me just, let me just take a shot. So it, it wasn't that I um, incrementally thought, Oh, there's a problem. Here's a problem. There was no breaking down. It was the fundamental things that actually Nicholas said at the beginning. It's an absolutely different model. And in a way, I don't think of that. I come from web two or I come from web. I mean, I started working on computers, before there was any web at all, um, building. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean in that that sense. It was more the, I, no, your I experiential. Mean, you mean that I have some understanding, right? Of, of what went wrong or what could be better, basically. And it wasn't that I was trying to change Web two. I'm not trying to evolve Web two. It's what humanity needs. It's that it's there is no company that controls my identity, and the things that you said, you know, our identity is rooted in a location or in a country or these. These are not my identity. These are aspects of my identity. But why does it matter that nobody controls your identity? And I'm really asking, we have a room full of listeners. And I'm curious why that matters. And I'm also curious whether this is like open source. Who is going to maintain this? Everything is completely open source. And right now, anyone who joins the community can contribute and work on it. And we have multiple uh, developers in the community. I'm, I'm the lead developer for the community right now, who basically make sure that as we're building it, we're, you know, following best practices. And as we move things into the core, that they're correct. And we do a lot of work on design and invention of these protocols that we've done. So um, the, here's an example. Right now, if there's a compromise in Equifax and hundreds of millions of people's data are leaked, or if there's a compromise in another company and millions of people's data are leaked, or if some, if there's a compromise like in you know Solana and some company decides to store pri private information and that's leaked and people are hacked, people just lose millions, billions of dollars every year. It's really not accounted for how much people lose by this data being handed out to many, many different actors, some of them with good practices, 
some of them with not good practices, and all of them with sensitive data about you. Now, if I go, passwords are the same kind of thing. So if I go to a social network and somebody compromises my password on that social network, today it's the social network and all the other websites that I might have used that password on that control that password. With the Verus model, I can log into an application without a password because I'm using my cryptography in the same wallet that I trust with my money so I can trust it to sign in for me. So a website comes up and I sign in. A, not, a lot of different websites, um, I might use the same identity to sign in. I might use a different identity and they might not be, and they would not be able to correlate me. I, but I can prove no matter what identity I use that it is a representation of me and I can prove that privately to any of those companies. So they don't need my information. They only need what they need in order to do that. And now if someone actually stole my private key for that identity, they stole it. And now they could log in as me, right? Except with Veris ID, I can simply revoke and recover that one ID and all of those hundred different services and banking services and everything else that I might log into, they're not going to be fooled by that person who stole my private key as if they had stolen a password. Doesn't this involve trusting Veris the way we once trusted Google or Facebook or, or uh, OAuth or, or whatever? It, it, it involves trusting math. That's why people say blockchains are trustless because it involves trusting math and open source of that math. And all of it is open. All of it. This is all open source. And it's like Bitcoin. So if you have Bitcoin on the blockchain, then you have Bitcoin on the blockchain and it's a worldwide thing. And it's the people who mine Bitcoin that are actually running the Bitcoin blockchain. And it's the people worldwide mining Verus with the Verus proof of power protocol which includes proof of work and proof of stake and lots of other things that make it better. It's like a, a many steps forward from, um, I think, um, you know, from current or other consensus protocols. And so basically um, you have to trust the math and, you know, Verus launched over four years ago, never, you know, we hear about hacks tens of millions, hundreds of millions. Oh, that was my next question. Of, of hacks again and again and again. And every single day, every single week, millions at least are stolen from people through what people have now accepted. They think it's a given, this minor extracted value. It's not a given. And, and, they, and on top of that, then you have hacks every day, every week. But if you think back, you can think, you know, a hack yesterday, a hack the day before, hacks before that. So many of them large, but if you want to know even the small ones, it's every day. What kinds of systems are those hacks happening on? Now, this is going to probably inflame people in the conversation, but in the last month, there have probably been, you know, on the order of a billion dollars or more of money stolen on virtual machine-based platforms that do not have 
just a core protocol handling the currencies. All of these currencies are made by many different people creating their own version of security in applications on top of a computer like the Ethereum VM or the Solana VM or other VMs. But how many, if you think back over the past two years, how many user funds were stolen from the base, like from Bitcoin, for example, the base level of Bitcoin, from Varus, from Zcash, from any of these blockchain, actual low-level blockchain protocols over the last two years, I would be curious because... Um, See, we don't know the difference as ordinary back. human beings. Now, I'm an early adopter. So my next question, uh, you know, is going to be, how do we get one? You know, but I think other people might be stuck back at, why do I need one? Well, so here's a simple answer. If you there, because there are a lot of answers, and I've tried to explain from an identity perspective. If you're thinking about this from a cryptocurrency perspective, you know, people say if you, what happened with Solana, the, the hack uh, yesterday, that was, I don't know how many millions of dollars stolen. Um, what happened with that hack is there was a company claiming, a company with closed source, claiming to have a non-custodial wallet. What that means is you control your keys. It's self-sovereign. You control these things. But it wasn't open source. And in fact, it wasn't true. They were taking the private information and putting it on their servers somehow, they would say, for your benefit. And so the hacker actually got into their servers, got thousands of private keys from people, and then they used those to take the money. And because they weren't IDs, people couldn't do anything about it if... The, they, they based, they, there was nothing that could be done about it. Identities have this ability that didn't exist on the blockchain. And people kept saying, oh, it's impossible. You can't do this because the only way you can have, you know, the ability to get your funds back if you lose your keys is you've got to accept centralization and banks. It just isn't true. There are so many people saying things that just aren't true because they don't know. And, and so the, we made it. And we actually released it onto mainnet about three years ago. And, you know, our focus is to build the longer term vision. And we're just about ready for that release. And until then, we're not out. We're, we're a community. We're not a company. We're not trying to sell everybody. We're not out marketing. This is actually a lot of the discussion that we've had. And I really appreciate the opportunity to have this in-depth level of discussion. Oh, my God. I want to tell you on behalf of the audience how thrilled I am that you're willing to spend your time with us. And, you know, I usually make the room close after an hour, but we haven't had one single audience question. So what is your, what is your time like? Uh, I'm okay. I can stay for at least another uh, 25, 30 minutes. Okay. So, so we're going to try. Try to get some <laughs> some hands. If anyone wants to ask a question, it's an unbelievably exciting topic. Hi, Michael. This is Irvin. I'm down at the bottom. 
I I don't want to seem like I'm stuck on stupid, but I would like to ask the question that's been bothering me for a while about identity. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, what you've explained to us is one side of the identity equation. What about the other side where we are coming into a period where more and more people are going to be laid off due to automation and other technical advances in our society and their ability to earn capital will be uh, lowered to some extent. Uh, how can we use identity or the uh, taking uh, control of our identity to generate income coming into the future? And I'll give an example of what has run across my mind. If I have my own identity and I go to Facebook and decide that I want to become a Facebook member and they ask for certain information, I want to, want to be able to give them access to that information. But if they decide that they're going to sell that particular group of information to a third-party vendor and they collect a certain amount of funds for that, how can I participate in that? Because they are using my my information to generate that income for them. Okay. So I think, let me um, make sure, because I believe I fully understand what you're saying. And I think that that is touching on actually somewhat two issues, but they're related. So the first, the first question is with this digital identity, will it, and tell me if I'm, getting this, the sense of the question correct. Will it help me to earn going forward? Is this new model with this new decentralized self-sovereign identity going to create any new opportunity for me as a human as our societies evolve and change and the workforce and all of the way that we interact changes in the idea of a workforce being that I am working for a company who now needs less people to work for them because they used up all of our work to make this system that we now live in with robots and we don't get to participate in it as much. Um, and then going back, and that's the first part of the question, and then going back then to this concept of can I, can I share in the monetization of my data? And so there are a couple parts of that. First, there are many ways. The, the Varus model is not separate from value exchange. The Varus model is what we call the internet of value. And that the reason that we feel very comfortable referring to it that way is because it really is an evolution. If you think about a, a poor country. In fact, I, I just relay in one of the executive retreats, you know, Bill Gates got up and he talked about his experiences going to Africa and um, and bringing, you know, technology there to help everyone at the very beginning of his efforts to, to you know, in the foundation. And they went and they brought computers and different software to this village. And they, you know, it was like everyone was so appreciative. And then they came back a year later and people were walking around holding their computers and they just didn't have power or any way to connect them. 
but it was really great. They really loved them. They had these boxes, these metal boxes that they could carry around and, and everybody liked them, you know? And the general idea is that we want to move beyond that. Yes, you can. And, and this is the companies that will decide what kind of an agreement they're going to have with you. But that isn't that is there is money there. And if you will talk to Nicholas Lyons, he'll probably be the one who will be able to explain this, um, you know, own, earn, spend model where you're basically you're part of the economy. So now if we go and we connect the Internet of value, not the Internet as it is today, but the Internet of value to a community, then they get opportunity along with that because of the cryptocurrency model, which is another subject and it would be deep. But the point is that all of the currencies on the network, which can include, you know, USD currency, stable currencies and yen stable currencies and euro stable currencies and other stable currencies, as well as Bitcoin and Ethereum and Verus and other currencies. You can use those currencies to launch your own currencies. You can use your identity and identity on Verus, the root identities can be used to launch your own blockchain. They can be used to launch your own currency. I think Michael, they can, yeah. sorry, before we get too deep into the woods here, sorry, I just want to make sure like, uh, there's a lot of questions also in the chat space. This is all right. This is Heyman for those listening on all the different platforms. Um, so there's some good comments. And I think that shows also a bit of a divide that we have in these kind of conversations. Uh, because uh, I think uh, Irvin was asking about how do I make money, right? That's a lot of people who are unbanked or even like people who don't have identities right now. They're trying to figure out how do I make money in the new future. And also Frank in the chat. Frank, if you want to speak to this as well. He also pointed out the fact that I think the motivation should be you own and you control your own data and that third parties cannot censor you. Uh, so that's also, that's also I'm not sure whether that's a privilege part, right? Because that's a, at a point where you want to secure your identity and so forth. Or I'm not sure. Frank, do you want to speak to that? And also, uh, there's a few other people who are in line to speak as well. Maybe not. Michael? Uh, can I address oh, so, so. can I address one thing that I see there because this is a, something that keeps coming up. Yeah. And people keep thinking, oh, you don't need a blockchain to do this because you know, we have this solution. Y yeah, you can choose to do use a public infrastructure technology that will mathematically prove that that is your idea and you don't need to rent it from anyone. Or you can choose to rent infrastructure to host your supposedly self-sovereign or decentralized ID using any of the centralized companies that are trying to convince you you don't need a blockchain. Those are that would be like Amazon Web Services. That would be like, you know, Microsoft IDs or Google identities or the, you know, any, any decentralized identity oh, right. where you need to go to a company and say, oh, I need a data store and oh, I need a place to put my decentralized identity or nobody will be able to recognize it. So I need you to store my decentralized identity information. That's a company storing your stuff. If well, you have a blockchain, it's not a company. The point is you own what's on there because the whole world stores your stuff. And there's no, it's a, yeah, you don't need a blockchain to do cryptography. That's true. You need a blockchain or something like a blockchain to actually have self-sovereign things and to have ownership. 
That's well, so, so Michael, so, so hold, that's Rigendel. Rigendel, would you mind introducing your name and which platform you're speaking from? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm on Clubhouse. Uh, you can say Reindahl or Reindahl. Um, Thanks. Either is fine with me. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, you know, decentralized identity. And then the other thing that you were talking about earlier were like verifiable credentials where I go to an exchange and they have some regulatory requirement. So I get a signed attestation from some, Correct. you know, Correct. registrar or something, right? Oh, so I'm, I'm just trying to level set, you know, that well, these are, we can these skip are some of the back stuff. That, these are terms that the DID uses. And yeah, it doesn't, like verifiable credentials, we've had those for forever. And it's just another sure. way no, of totally. signing for something. Yeah, so, yeah, yes, totally. that is or, what I'm referring to. Or, or, or meaning if, if, rather if you don't want to talk about, term, sorry, no, it's okay. I guys, talk about yeah, we're here. Don't worry. No one's rushing away. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I, I just want to get to the point and not like hold up the line too much. So, um, you know, we have ways of attaching some identity metadata to a key pair and signing it, whether it's the DID flavor or going back to GPG keys and, you know, web of trust uh, schemes. Like we have a lot of ways of doing this. Blockchains specifically are really good at a very small number of things. The big thing that Bitcoin proved was that you can use them to prevent double spend if you have the right economic incentives. There's not really a risk of somebody double spending my identity. Like the whole point of self-sovereign identity is that I'm the only one who can make changes to it. You can hand me some attestation or some signature and maybe I include it with my identity when I go to prove myself to a website or a service or something. But like, I don't have to worry that I'm giving an attestation to Alexandra and I'm giving an attestation to Phil and that those things aren't going to be well ordered, right? Like blockchains are ultimately a mechanism for having like decentralized sequencing of events where you really, really care about that sequence. So if, if the claim is that we need a brand new blockchain network to deal with like data availability and storage... I'm not really convinced that blockchains are the best way to do that. Like maybe browser extensions and phone apps are a better way to do that. So I, I just want to get into like, why is like, what is the identity problem that you actually need a blockchain for? Cause most of the problems that you've identified are things that you just need cryptographic key pairs and some identity and you need ways of people to manage their keys. And I don't think it's at all obvious that you need a globally replicated append only log with like, proof of work and tokenomics in order to help people manage key pairs with metadata. Okay. So you said you made a couple of assertions at the beginning that I completely disagree with, but it's all right. And I just wanted to understand because you said that blockchains are only good for small number of things, which is an assertion that, so do you work in blockchain or what do you do? Yep. Yep. Sure do. What do Okay. So is it a particular blockchain or? Yeah, I mean, right now I'm working on Bitcoin, but I used to work in EVMs and okay. uh, various roll-ups on top of EVM chains. Okay, so I would take, uh, I don't agree that there are these small number of applications and we, our network actually enables numerous applications. And the difference between a system where you say, I've got an identity and I want to say, have an attestation about a verifiable credential, or I've got an identity and I want to use that identity to manage my finance. I want to actually have finances behind that identity. And I don't want to have to go to a bank to do my finances with that identity. Then you really need to marry the identity to the financial system. And if you think that 
you know, that you can't for, I mean, it was the Bitcoin people who kept saying that you cannot do revocation and recovery on the blockchain. And if you're going to choose to be self-sovereign, you just can't do it. Well, you can, there are many things you can do on the blockchain and lots of people, it's like the, the, the kind of generalized statement that always reminds me of the person who said there will never be a computer smaller than a room is when people say you can't do something. And I'm not saying that I think I can do something. I'm saying you can because that's what we're doing. And so, no, blockchains actually have a lot of uses. And one of them is to store finances and to, in a decentralized way with, without requiring banks, and I think you might agree with this if you work in blockchain, is to actually be able to maintain a ledger with financial level integrity worldwide. And our uh, system, un- go ahead. Well, so, so hold on. So, so Wait. like a CSV file can be used to make. Sorry, one second. Rigendel? Uh, the right tool. Rigendel, one second. Uh, Francine on Twitter Spaces? Yeah, I want to ask the overwhelming uh, question, which is how is the world going to understand this? I mean, this, this is, I, I, I'm stuck on stupid with Ir- with Irvin. You know, that's what I was trying to get at the mall example. Like, how could you sell it to a person who's walking by within less than a yeah. minute? Like, yeah, why so do I, I need this? Like, uh, Apple okay. right now does it. Like, uh, Google does it. I just have to Google my email. And uh, why can't I use that? Or, like, uh, why do I need to do this now? Yeah. Well, imagine an app that you don't even have to care about whether it's blockchain or not. And you don't really have, you, you can have multiple currencies that have different, like they're connected to different causes or projects or maybe even countries, but you can use dollars and you can use euros. And this app is on your phone and it's an open source, open network app that you can use that people worldwide, just like Bitcoin work on and, and ensure um, may, is maintained and, and we work on and upgrade it and all of this worldwide. And you can just connect it to your bank and you can move money from your bank into crypto and you can move money from crypto into your bank and you don't need an exchange and you can send as easily as you send crypto today from one currency to another, from one person to another and from one blockchain to another. You can actually do all of that using identities and you can issue identities and you can make currencies with your identities today on the Veris testnet, all of these things already work along with scale that goes beyond what Ethereum or Bitcoin is able to do now or some years. And so the point is that you can, in fact, use this as if it. you don't have to know about blockchain. You don't have to learn about blockchain. You can get an identity and then you can have companies or people say, yep, that's who that, that's who it is. And you can go to an office and you can say, I want my driver's license put onto my digital ID and they can prove it and put it in there. I want my passport put in there. And then you can, as KYC, you can say, or as know your customer, and when you go to a company, you can say, yeah, this proves that I am who I am, but you don't need that information unless an authority asks you for it, this verifiable credential model that Reindell was mentioning. And so generally you know, speaking, I- you don't have to know this stuff. And we're talking about it more at a lower level but the user experience, first you need the protocols. And so people are always trying to get ahead of themselves. You know, the Bitcoin community is saying, we don't want to move anything forward on the protocols 
except for, you know, very incremental steps. The Ethereum community is saying, let's move fast and break everything. And, and you know, what we really need is to move things forward as we can securely move them forward. And so what we're doing is, you know, we're describing the vision, inviting everyone to come help. And, uh, and the main benefit, you know, is that this will then enable the applications that can securely provide you with ID services, provide you with data storage where you control all your data. It's encrypted unless you decide to share it and provide you with financial services that you don't have to pay anyone for and the centralized money services businesses that want to add value to your life have to add value before they start charging you. And so that's, you know, how do average people use it? Well, it means it's not going to be mass. It's not yet mass market. It is definitely the time for early adopters, entrepreneurs, and, uh, you know, and people really wanting to get a head start, but it's not ready yet for mass market. Millions of people, We'll be already using it by the time it is, in fact, ready for mass market. But mass so market this is, is a sneak preview that we're lucky enough to have. Well, people are already starting to use it. But yeah, I mean, if you think about the early adopters, the people are really into crypto. That isn't yet mass market. And the reason is, like, if I look at, um, you know, the the model on Ethereum where you, for example, go to a website, you want to get an NFT or you want to get, you know, anything that really has to do with it and you pre-approve that the system will be able to take money from your wallet. And so people are having all of these different user problems because I think that the actual architected user model is wrong in that case. I think you should just be able to say, I want to buy that. And you click and you agree and there's a transaction that comes up and do you want to do this? And you say yes and you're done. And and so I think, so we are working to enable the simple use user models by making the underlying protocols capable, secure, you know, cover what's needed and make it possible for them to have those user models on top. And we're building applications. We have, you know, easy to use wallets on mobile and things like that. But it, but it takes, it's going to take time and it's going to take people understanding the real opportunity of the people who are early entrepreneurs in the space to create those applications that bring this to the mass market through ease of use, but it doesn't need to be a different technology. And Alexandra, okay, I'm going to uh, sorry, I'm going to give people back their day by asking for only one more speaker and saying, Mike, that this is the beginning uh, of a conversation that. I'm going to refer to meeting the people who are putting in the piping for the indoor plumbing that you are about to get in your house and never see. How close <laughs> Thank <am I>? you. <laughs> yes, I'm a plumber. That's right. And also, Alexander in the chats has been saying there are some obstacles. So I'm just curious also to know what are the obstacles to this coming to fruition and what do they need to look for Let, after let's the Roblox? Let, Let's let Alexandra be our last uh, commenter because her comment will be worthwhile. We can, by the way, we can carry on. Um, We have plenty of people in the room who, um, if Mike has to go, um, if he has to go, um, we've got Frank, we've got Max, we've got um, 
a whole bunch of people, but also I know that Ben wanted to ask some technical questions that started, that prompted this. So I just want to make sure that Ben gets to ask his questions as okay, well. Okay, so. after Alexandra, but but as a, as as a, this is a karma club room, it will end when I declare it over. <laughs> But um, uh, Dr. Francine, I think there are many people who are waiting to ask questions. So if it is not convenient to do it in Karma Club, I can start another room in Tech News Club. Okay, let's yeah, we can we can move over to keep, Tech News if you want. Let's but keep I, going. I think also to keep the uh, to make everyone concise, I think we should have a hard stop at three, and that way we could always reconvene, right? Otherwise, it keeps going, and I think people yeah, uh, I mean, might lose focus. Yeah, I mean, the intention for this session is for people to ask questions, but yeah. um, I think many of the questions may not be what other people want to ask. So if you want to, con I mean, because we invited Mike this time because we wanted to ask a lot of technology-related questions. Right, so but I this think is going to be an ongoing thing. I think uh, also Michael's has it's to okay. leave as well. It's okay. I will start a tech news room, and uh, we will continue sure. after this. I'll do it now. We're going to yeah, continue I, till 3 p.m., and then we'll have I, a hard stop. I, wa I want to hear Alexandra. So I, I'm not, I, I don't want to derail or distract the conversation here. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I've also working while I'm listening, so I haven't, unfortunately, I've missed some of the conversation, but um, issues uh, not, not with, uh, if you want to purchase something that's like an object, like a, a, a product or a service um, is, you know, there isn't, really an issue in uh, wallet to wallet purchases I actually had a question outside of this but um, but wallet to wallet uh, purchases those are not a problem uh, I mean there may be a problem with discovery right of information but I agree with this fundamental concept that if I'm selling a, a sofa right uh, and you're buying it you don't need to know who I am and I don't need to know who you are. You need to know where the SOPA is, if it's in the condition that I you know, say it is, if it's in a location that you can access, if someone has prior title, whatever, that's it. You don't need to know where I live or my name. You don't need to know any of that stuff. And I just need to know uh, if you are, you know, if you're paying in cash, all I need to know is, do, are you paying the amount that I asked for? And on blockchain, you can actually just, the fact that uh, it, the transaction closes proves that, you know, the value was exchanged and the title was exchanged, basically. That's that's kind of how that works. So so this part of, of giving uh, information only as needed, I think, is is fundamentally a, a really good idea. Um, the the issue is if you're you cannot buy. I just wanted to clarify here. You cannot buy something like uh, why don't you buy interest in my company? Or, or a token that is a security or something like that. Wallet to wallet transfers, just that, that won't be legal. Even if it's possible, it's not legal. That's, there's a difference between what you can do and what you're allowed to do, uh, mostly because uh, historically when you can do that, um, it's been uh, like an area rife for con men and stuff like that because if there's, say, that person, say it's a legitimate uh, you know, offer, but the person is, is uh, somehow... Uh, able to take the identity or or steal the wallet keys, right? But take the identity somehow to of the person that is pretending to be the issuer, and then ends up absconding with all of the money, and it's a rug. Or let's say that you know the person that is purchasing it, um, you know, is is not qualified to purchase it for a number of reasons, uh, depending on the type of transaction, et cetera. There are, there are legal implications because people abuse this type of privilege all the time. And that is just to protect people like there. It, it's fine if there's 
uh, particular guardrails in place. If those are in place, then th then it's this works great. If you don't need a matching service, then don't have one. But um, but uh, otherwise, there are some legal implications when you're talking about transferring things that have uh, regulated methods of transfer and um, and removing those regulated methods of transfer is what is leading the way towards um, cons. So that's an issue that guardrails just need to be around. I don't say that uh, legal issues happen um, and and therefore it can't this can't be resolved and you should just stop. Um, I think it's really noteworthy to look at current legal like legal issues that that exist and the results of what other people have built um, because that is not to tell you don't do it because it's screwed up for someone else um, or don't do it because there's a law. It's oh these are things we have to work around. So it's, I think, very good to note that obstacles exist so that they can be addressed instead of, you know, avoided and show up later as landmines that blow things up. Um, so the, the, uh, the question that I had uh, since I'm here, and, uh, and I'm sorry, all the other people who've been waiting to ask questions, but, um, but my biggest concern with identity, I've seen a few different projects working on this. Um, including one that tries to give ownership back to people uh, of their of their identity and of their transactions, um, but uh, in a very it was a very odd way that they were trying to do it. But fundamentally, the problem is that a lot of the um, we're still using the services that are allowed to collate information, and those collations or aggregators of data are the ones that own that that data, right? So um, it's it's their act of aggregation that allows them to own that data. So uh, you may have control over your data, uh, but it's not necessarily exclusive control over your data. And, um, and then also there's this matter of all of the data that already exists um, historically. Uh, you know, is there some way that we can uh, like recover some of that, or at least in the future, prevent uh, aggregators from controlling the data as well. Because fundamentally, you know, you... you Sorry, I'm not sure where that rustling sound is coming from. Um, not me. Yeah. Can we ask a question? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, just, Alexander, the final, the, your question was? Um, so the question is, uh, is, um, is it even possible to own your data alone, right? Not in yeah. an aggregator. Understood. And about the data that currently exists and is owned by someone else, can you reclaim some sort of ownership over that? Yeah, so I think that there are, I, I'd like to address two things. First, just to be really clear, um, we're not saying actually that we are focused on whether or not you need to use an intermediary for a particular kind of transaction or not. What we're really saying is we make it possible like technologically, mathematically, and in the network to do it whatever way you would like. And of course, people should follow the law. Now, you can also, um, on, on transactions, you could transact with an ID without having to know who that person is, but they could, for example, prove that they are certified by a company. They could publish their certification by that company. And the only way that someone might be able to get that certification back, which is can also be verified has not been canceled, would be, you know, to have 
do uh, reason to, you know, get that um, information. And so that's one thing. The other thing, it might sound like we're trying to make this. It's made. Like we already have this released on mainnet for uh, over well, almost three years now. Um, the identity technology. We just haven't been pushing marketing or doing anything except for building the whole entire platform to cover it with scale. And that's when really we expect a big kind of explosion of user experiences and things like that. And so I agree with the, all the points you said that those, you know, are issues to consider. But in the, you know, on the one hand, these are tools that will let you do it the way that makes sense for you in your country, following the laws that are there. And then the um, uh, other side of it is this ag question of aggregation. So remember, I was a technical fellow on the advertising platform. And in fact, that was one of the reasons why really, it really opened my eyes to what we're capable of doing in te with technology. And the challenge is that people really don't have, I always envisioned this concept of, you know, I also worked in machine learning and AI, this concept of if we're really going to benefit from AI, we need AI is working for people. Eventually, I believe that we will get there. But the Verus network um, is enabling people to be the, because the technology can always be there when they're using it. And when they're using it, just like a company is always using their back end across all the different applications and where, where anywhere Google has a pixel on a web page, you know, they've got their back end, the same back end integrating and correlating all the data about you. And in that same way, you can have that working for you rather than just having that working for Google. Everywhere you go, everything you do, if you do it with your own self-sovereign ID now, 10 years from now, wherever, then you have those records and they're not public. You might share them with one company, you might share them with another company, and all these different companies get a point view of you. Right now, their goal is to get the most holistic view of you. But in the, you know, going forward, you're right. This is a big challenge and it's a transition, you know, from this backwards model that we have today where we got here with, you know, a rent-based system to the model where we can actually, you know, live and exist and thrive as humans at any like scale. And, and when we transition, we start using this technology, the more we use it, the more we become the center of our own data and the companies become the nodes that get to access some of it. And you can bet that Google and Microsoft and Apple they also have large AIs. We've got to eventually get the AIs helping us and working for us. But they basically will have a competition to maintain their position as the ones who know the most. And that's part of, I think, the regulatory environment because there's a lot of lobbying and other things because there are a lot of forces effectively pushing to not have us own our own data because it's so valuable. It's it's so valuable. And, and it's not just the things and the use cases that we care about today that will matter. It's important, I believe, based on all of my background and just, you know, what I see happening, that we end up as much as possible 
being in control of our data and the way that that's going to happen, the only hope that that's going to happen is with a model and I believe a protocol that doesn't require any company or country or any centralized entity. And with that, as long as there are people in the world using it, supporting it and doing it, we can have this self-sovereign ownership of our data that gets stronger and stronger and more holistic relative to any other picture of us over time. That, that would be my answer. So, so, I, so I just want to say that the, the consumer, you know, to trying to back to, on the consumer, this is what the consumer is asking for. This may be an unfamiliar way of, of uh, presenting it. But the consumer is asking for control over their own data and has been for years. And that's why the privacy laws are coming into effect. So I think that is a good way of explaining the real need for this. And Mike, you are so awesome. I want to say thank you to you. Thank you. You said you had 25 minutes and we're coming up on the end of your 25 minutes. So let me say a thousand thanks to you. And let me say to the rest of the room, we will continue until three o'clock in Heyman's time, which is noon. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) Eastern Standard Time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. For those of us who are in all kinds of crazy time zones. So 36 minutes, is, 36 minutes. Yeah. I'd like, I'd yeah, like for so, Ben, if possible, to ask his questions, because he was the one that prompted me to, uh, to, oh, uh, that's agree so to right. do this. So, so that, let ben, let's, let's so hear from right, you, Ben, Paul. because you're a Bitcoin educator. Um, so let's hear from you, Ben. Okay. Hi, guys. Thank you. Um, so this is the project outside Bitcoin that I've done the most research on because there are nearly 18,000 other projects. I just can't distribute my time and meaningfully understand any of them. So what, so um, I'm a technologist, a coder. Uh, I like to teach beginners technical things and, and my only, I'm not an expert in this field. My only knowledge is how to secure Bitcoin properly in terms of the wallet specifics. Um, so firstly, uh, I, I, I've watched all of the YouTube videos on the channel. I've tried to, I've read your white paper that was lacking in many technical details that I could get my teeth into. Uh, and I've been, I presume it's to the right site, verus.io forward slash wallet to get the wallet to try and use it. Is that the right uh, address, Michael? Verus.io forward slash wallet? That's correct. And just people call that a white paper. It was actually a vision paper and it was yeah, it looked really, like that. Yeah. It, it was not that's a fine. white paper. It was a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah that's on. fine. But it, it's called itself white paper. But yes, that's so I read it, but it was, was, it was devoid of technical. Well, I can always go look at the full source code if I really want to know what it's about. So I went to verus.io forward slash wallet and downloaded it on my Mac. And I have to say, it's the first app that has ever come up on three separate virus scanners, all saying that it's malware. So I haven't had a chance to try it. Bitdefender, Avera, and um, Avast all say that it's full of malware. So I can send you the, none of them are very helpful. Bitdefender was somewhat helpful. If you wish, I'll back channel you the report from Bitdefender, which will show you what it's concerned about and the exact codes. Um, so you, I sure you can, but it's, but it's, we've verified again. And I mean, I would like, this is the thing. It's, I, I understand willing to compile saying. from source. Uh, no, so. I understand. It's a hundred, you can do that. It's a hundred percent open source. The problem is that, Viruses and malware often include miners in their malware. And these scanners are not very smart at all. 
And so what they do is if they recognize anything that looks like a miner, and we're actually a PC, we have a PC mining capable. No, I, um, I, I understand. Uh, yeah. And so that, basically that we are most clear. likely people are taking the miners that are recognizable, putting them in different malware and the malware, because we do complete like scans. Sure, sure Michael, yeah, I mean, so the, 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 feedback, yeah. the feedback is just that as a user, I, I'm I understand. Not, no, I understand. I, I'm not. Really and and, and, the, and the options sure. will so be. I'm just the, saying well, that I haven't so, had a chance yeah. to try it. I wanted to I actually get, get hands okay. on with the wallet and try it, but I couldn't. I just want to give you that have, feedback. And if you want, you already. It sounds like you know the source and the cause. It sounds like the sort yes. of errors I got from from. Yes. Uh, I think it was Bitdefender, but uh, but I'm just saying from a usability point of view, I can't really even try it. And I that, understand, and it's other I, companies I, basically uh, like not correctly. They're basically harming the community by sure, I understand. giving incorrect information about software. But yes, I understand. Sure, sure. What you're and saying. then I also went to iOS to try it on iOS, but that's only available through test flight. So I'm not getting the protection of App Store certification. So I haven't tried the wallet. So I'm giving you the ca caveat that I have read the white paper, which as you say is a vision paper. I've watched all your YouTube videos uh, and I have not been able to try the app because I physically don't want to take the risk of running it and I'm not willing well, I'm, I'm sorry for, for that and then there will be no times worries, when companies will be coming out with versions of it and signing it and making deals yeah, with cool. these other companies but it's an open community project and there are companies right now giving false information about the app and so I understand sure and I, and I might compile it from source myself but the, to be sure I've then got to check all the source anyway that was the feedback so the question goes back to Reindel's question again I, I like to hear conversations between technologists especially people who are active blockchain developers so I mean maybe just throw it back to Reindel to ask his question again I, th I think the question was why do we need a new protocol there's already W3C spec for DIDs and verifiable, verifiable credentials um, so I didn't hear an answer, a concise answer to that oh, question. How do they handle a, a funds revocation recovery? I'm just curious. I, I'm just hoping that that question would get answered before I start answering my new ones. Rindel, did you want? Well, that's the answer. Is like they don't do anything to address the combination. They they basically require that you have you can use cryptographic keys, but they do nothing to address the relationship between that and ownership of actual things or assets, nothing. It's just, I mean, it's not something that you can address if you don't figure out a way to combine the identity with either regulations if you refuse to use a decentralized financial network or actual technology that could allow you to work with a decentralized network and as far as i know we're the only so one that's doing that you you could use whatever client side key management scheme you want to interact with a decentralized so, financial network i don't want like to you don't to let this conversation dive too deep into the technology part i think there's some conversation about more of a technology but please yeah i just wanted to yeah please do because heyman the point is that a few technologists myself included think that the whole premise may be built on a technological Got impasse. It. Yep. Um, so, you know, if you were selling, anyway, I won't give analogies, but the analogy that I made in the chat was like, I could build a Twitter clone using Google Sheets as the back end. That doesn't mean that Google Sheets is the appropriate database to go behind Twitter, right? Like if you want this to actually scale and be secure and economical for lots and lots of people, like you need to pick the right technology for the job. And saying that the only way that we can have people manage key pairs with metadata associated with them is to necessarily put it in a blockchain next to decentralized finance is is just like a, a premise that is not axiomatically true. 
like there's a bunch of assumptions built into that. And I, I agree like, with like that. To explain I agree assumptions. with that statement. I agree with that statement. I, I, I mean, we don't even require the identity protocol is just rooted in blockchain. See, when you describe these scenarios that nobody would do, like the Google Sheets on the back, you have to think about how a user is going to end up end up interacting with it and what they're going to be able to do. This is complete solution, a complete solution that doesn't require a company. Now, a company can actually use this identity protocol to be the source of DIDs and and you know DIDs, decentralized identifiers, and 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 they can make a DID that is in fact a Veris ID. And they can make a gateway so that they can put those DIDs on the blockchain because we actually have a protocol that allows them to combine their model of semi-decentralized identities with a financial network that is Veris. So we're not saying that everybody must put their identity on the blockchain. We're just saying it, we think it's the best way. And it's really the only decentralized way with ownership that we know of right now. And if you come up with a new one, or you can say why it isn't that, then then fine, you could actually use the same protocol and you could just connect to Veris and Veris would respect the identity protocol that you connect with. And if that means that it's like, we're not saying that this has to be the only solution. And when you talk about scale, there this is the only network I know of that actually it would scale to like literally billions of transactions per second if it needs that because it is similar to the internet in the sense that you don't need one giant computer to serve them all. You don't need one currency to serve them all. You don't need one virtual machine to serve them all. Everyone can create their either scaled up networks and connect them. And there can be thousands or more of these networks worldwide that are all connected and working together. Because we have an interchain protocol that is, in fact, more provable than any that I've seen because it leverages uh, basic research that actually enable. It's based on the fly client um, protocol research and uh, and taken that to kind of a, another level of provability so that we've solved the problem with identities and with this cross-chain networking protocol and with the multi-currency primitives at the core, which no other system has, we've solved the problem of having networks that carry financial assets in the same decentralized way as Bitcoin be able to connect to each other safely and securely. And identities, in fact, are part of that solution. So we didn't say we need to make a did you know, and so we need to compete with DIDs. And so we're going to do this. You read the vision paper. So, you know, it was just part of what we needed to make this new world and this better world for people. And so we made these identities on the blockchain because we needed to make it possible for people to vote using confidential, verifiable and transparent polls and elections that can't be gained. Or we made it need to make it possible for people to be able to do commerce without having to go to some centralized entity or escrow agent if there's not a legal requirement for doing that. And we needed these identities and there was no identity, not in DID or anywhere else. We were actually like as a community needing technology that no one was making. So now people come and say, well, why did you make an identity and you don't need a blockchain? Well, actually we did. 
And if anyone could tell us how we could have done this with a system that wasn't this, you know, great, you could have convinced us or you still could. But no, we need it this way. And yes, you can use the other models, which we think are inferior, and you can connect them to Veris. And they can even carry IDs into the Veris ecosystem that are as like respected as the IDs that are uh, issued through blockchains. And as far as scale to the world goes, please tell me why it won't scale to every human on earth, because it will. Uh, a globally replicated ledger isn't going to scale to every human in the world if every identity interaction involves a ledger transaction. We have an unlimited number of connected ledgers, and each one of them does about right now at the current level of not optimized because it's not been our focus. We're scaling out first, then you scale up. This is like computer so, science. So if how we're so if so if I make my own little ledger connected to Varus, then how much do you have to trust me as being the ledger operator for that subledger? If you make a decentralized blockchain ledger connected to Varus, it's another public blockchain that is secured by both its own proof of power, which includes 50% proof of stake and 50% proof of work, fairly capable of fair launch and everything else, and the hash power of the entire rest of the network, and the hash power of Ethereum, because of the cross-chain uh, proofs that are continually running between the different blockchains, there you actually get the security benefit of the entire aggregated network and so you can send uh ethereum over to your network and and if your network because your network can diverge in protocol and everything else because it can be its own independent project and if your network becomes a rogue network and you end up losing all sorts of you know doing all sorts of terrible things and losing money and this kind of thing in your network and it's not really a public network and it's really more of like a, a criminal's network or something like that, the maximum damage you can do to the rest of the entire system is only what people trusted your network with. Great, cool. So, so that's the point that I um, wanted sorry, to Sorry, right? uh, do you mind? So, uh, yeah. Sorry, Reginald, I just wanted to, I'm noticing the time. We've, we're actually coming like close. I, there's several other people who are on stage as well. Okay. So I if mean, you don't I'll, mind... I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll this, go ahead and get down. Like in general, in quite, general, quite if you have somebody come up and ask a question, and then the speaker makes a bunch of claims, and you don't let the person asking the question like respond to those claims. No, no, it's it not that. Really feel like it's no, no, it's not that. Topic. There's always spinoff, and I think uh, actually uh, uh, Cheryl was planning to do that, but it's just I want to be conscious of the time and also be uh, mindful of the fact that there are other people also on stage who may and have other. Other questions that may be relevant to this network. Sorry, uh, sorry, one second, Ben. Ben, one second. There's going to be another room with more technological deep dive with Cheryl, I think, is starting up. But I just want to make sure that before we kill the time here, I want to make sure that others on stage who actually have been waiting patiently have the opportunity to ask some questions that maybe also may take some other uh, insights, uh, may bring some other insights. So anyone else on stage who wish to uh, ask questions or... Wanted to add yeah. to the conversation? I would, I would love to hear Reindahl's... Sorry, Mabana. Mabana was... Sorry, uh, Sorry, if you don't mind, Grace. Mabana was on earlier, and you're next, right after that. Okay, Grace? Heyman, in fairness, sir, this was... Reindahl is very concise, and I suspect his final question will take about 20 seconds. Yes, And please. the technologist amongst us who are on stage, uh, it's very important that there's not I'll a wait, technological wait. impasse here. I'll wait as well. I'll wait. 
for that. Okay. And so it's, it's up to you. Sure. So. Go ahead. So yeah, if no, you I'm end sorry. up having these subnetworks, and if, if the idea is that, you know, I can make a sub... Sorry, what's that? Okay, sorry. There was Nothing, you just got a bit of echo, buddy. Okay, cool. Yeah, so if, if there's a subnetwork and I go and use, you know, Grace's subnetwork and that's where my identity is, then if that's not, you know, if, if her network has some problem and I lose my identity or somebody's able to, like, I, I, I don't know all the semantics of the blockchain that you guys are building, but if, if the idea is that you're going to compartmentalize, you know, blast radius from consensus failures or malicious forks or whatever to these subnetworks, then it seems like the really natural thing for some giant service provider to do would be to say, we're going to make our own little subnetwork. We're going to issue IDs on our subnetwork. And if you want to use our services, like this is where you do it. And at that point, you're just back to, you know, needing to trust the service provider and you can get much more efficient database schemes than a blockchain, right? And so if, if the thing that you're trying to do is you're trying to let users authenticate to sites and services across different protocols and networks and applications using a set of credentials, and I mean like lowercase c credentials that they control, like why not go build, you know, a browser extension and a mobile app that lets people like manage uh, you know, keys with some identity information. And if they want to plug that into MetaMask and use it on Ethereum, great. If you want to go do some biz dev and talk to Chase and let people log into their Chase account using this instead of, you know, OAuth 2 or whatever, like, great. But, you know, you can separate identity from value transfer. Like, they're orthogonal things. They both rely on asymmetric cryptography if we're talking about cryptocurrencies. But, like, me presenting a signed challenge to prove to you that I have a private key has nothing to do with, you know, using distributed consensus to prevent double spends. And I think when you conflate those two things, you end up with a bunch of like problems or, you know, issues scaling that. And I'll stop there. Okay. First, um, a couple things. I'm not, we're not conflating those things. I feel like you're conflating those things as a, as a straw man. And we're not conflating those things. We're not saying that that's the issue. And uh, we already, in fact, support uh, OAuth 2, OpenID Connect, and uh, with the identity uh, protocol. And if you have a blockchain where you make an identity, we already allow you to move that identity to any of the blockchains in the network or use it in other ways. And the presupposition that you described as the, as the other straw man seems to be that once we have self-sovereign identities and we can do all of this, that for some reason people would decide to stop using their self-sovereign identity, which is in fact completely compatible across all the blockchains with all of the protocols. And there would be no need whatsoever to use a Google ID if they did it this way. But for some reason, people would not use their self-sovereign identity once they could. And there were companies who want to replace Google or, or maybe Google would catch on at the, you know, the uh, actual thing that's happening and actually like start doing things that are more aligned with self-sovereign IDs. And, and the model to say that, well, then a big company would come along and do this and you'd use their, why would you use their ID when for them to not allow you to use other IDs on the various network, including your own self-sovereign ID would be clearly uh, unnecessary because the IDs work across the entire network, are resolvable 
across the entire network and can be sent from one blockchain to another, just like currencies can be. So, um, and it's not a, a blockchain, you know, like it all works. I, I'm happy to help you get set up on things and try all of this out already because it's this, all that we're talking about works really well, works fine, it's connected to the Ethereum test network as well. Um, and we're just preparing it for its next mainnet upgrade. And, and the, you know, the multi-currency, the multi-blockchain, the launches, the identities, the issuing of identities, making currencies that sell identities, um, sending them across chains, launching blockchains with Kickstarter, you know, either you don't get the participation and it doesn't launch or you do and it launches or currencies that way or all sorts of things that can be done. It all works. It's not like it's, it's not like it's not something you can go try. You can. And so we can follow up after this, help get your questions answered. And I'd be happy to have this conversation, you know, a longer conversation about it. Because clearly there's kind of a perspective of how things will work. And I think it's based on maybe not realizing what we're actually doing and what's, what's possible. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know. So, yeah, sorry, gentlemen. I have to say to you that this is the Karma Club. It is not the tech news club and it's not tech talks and people come on here for a specific kind of community and a specific kind of learning that is open to everybody and, and is accessible. And I think we have, we have reached the point where this is a technical discussion that um, you guys are having, which definitely deserves to be had, but this is the wrong room to have it in. I am, because much of the audience cannot benefit from it. So, uh, so let me say thank you, you know, to Michael, who I thought was an excellent explicator of a rather difficult concept. And thank you to Nicholas, who arranged for this, and to Cheryl and other members of the Tech News Club who drove audience to this room. But uh, I'm feeling very uncomfortable here because I'm wanting my audience to have a more, um, shall we say, calm experience. Mubwana, do you want to say something? So, can, I, can, I just, can I just chime in? So, so just before you move on. Nicholas, um, I'm going to say no, you may not chime in because it's the Karma Club and it's my room. I wouldn't do that to you in your room. Well, and you I think you, you're doing it to me because I am a woman and I don't enjoy that. Okay, I think, no, I think, sorry. That's insulting. Um, I was all I was going to say is we can go to the to Cheryl has set up a tech news room for people who yeah. want to carry on the conversation. We can carry it on in a tech news room 
so that we don't can have I, to can I ask my Parliament. question though before we go yes yes no, no I think uh, so just to just to touch base everyone I think there's a lunchtime component here and I know there's been an overwhelming for a lot of the, our audiences from different ch- platforms but this is actually a very valuable conversation that can be taken in different directions by different groups as well and I'm hoping that uh, going forward I mean we'll, this is going to be an ongoing conversation so thank you very much again for everyone who joined and Francine thank you for always for actually uh, making sure the space is here for us to have these kind and of we're going to have a conversation, you know, that yeah. that is more um, in line with the goals of the Karma Club to say, why do we need to learn this and how are we going to use it and how will this room this week right. help us to use this new information that we were really very privileged to receive in a positive way to advance the universe. And there's a lot to say about that, an awful lot. Yeah. Mabwana, let's, let's answer your question. Thanks, I'm not gonna ask a technical question. Uh, Michael, thanks for your time. Uh, and it's good to meet another softie. I, I also work for Microsoft uh, as a PM for, my, for Excel. Um, one of the things that um, Nicholas keeps bringing up in, in the tech newsrooms is around the operating model of some of these uh, blockchain companies, Web3 companies, being VC backed, um, you know, once you take money from Andreessen or another VC, you know, you corrupt potentially the vision. Um, and also, as you can tell, I'm from Africa, but I sound very American and I have serious identity issues. Identity is really, really an issue for me. Uh, I can land in an airport and sound Nigerian to some authorities in Africa and get in trouble. Um, I am a fund manager and I have to deal with a ton of different identities of investors corporations, individuals, high net worths, um, with jurisdictions where they don't take privacy seriously. Mwana, did we lose you? Yeah, yeah. hello, yeah. can you hear There you me? go, yeah, you're back. Sorry, um, uh, I was saying that, I don't know how much uh, I was cut off, but um, uh, I was saying that- seriously, I have, seriously. Yeah, identity issues I've had with dealing with multiple investors in multiple countries, but also in jurisdictions like in Africa where Privacy isn't taken very seriously. People just email documents left, right, and center, never mind hacks. Um, so I guess my, I have two kind of questions here. More, one is like, how is the operating model of um, uh, Verus being, a, being, I guess, it's a, is it a nonprofit? And why is VC money bad for the vision? And then the second part of my question is, how can, you know, um, obviously the developed world is very crowded in the identity space whether it's for-profit, um, you know, multiple computing systems. But in the, in the developing world, in Africa, for instance, we don't actually have much. It's, it's more green, uh, a greenfield space to innovate, I think, because there's obviously a lot of people who don't have identities, but also there's also very weak systems and a very lack of respect for privacy. Um, and also you could argue that the value of the users in Africa is very low. So, you know, whether, uh, you know, like if I'm, if I'm, Dealing with uh, uh, with someone here in Africa, their value might be very low compared to a high net worth in, say, in the U.S., who very much values their privacy. You know, you know, this is kind of like me putting my investor hat on as a fund manager and having a high net worth in the U.S. Versus maybe I'm here and someone who is basically a farmer doesn't care. They want to be spammed all day from the mobile network because they don't have anything really to offer as far as value, and they don't really care about their identity. So, how do you think we should be thinking about using Verus in the developing world? Um, versus the developed world, and, and how does the operating model of Verus um, being informed 
to how you operate and if, if, particularly for scale as you scale up how do you think about competitors or protocols that compete that may have vc funding and are able to scale up faster or do you feel that the uh, operating model that you have now as volunteers or just um running as a non-profit is superior to other 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 models thanks yeah okay so a couple things um so our model, when we started, a number of us founders, we, you know, announced the protocol. We didn't take any uh, pre-mining or there is no dev fee. Um, you know, we didn't have any ICO or sell coins. Nobody, you know, person issued coins, only the network, just like Bitcoin, uh, issued coins. And, uh, and what we did is we took a lot of our early mining and staking and we donated it. You know, mining is taking along with the rest of the world, and we donated a lot, like a lot of our early mining and say most of our early mining and staking, to a nonprofit foundation that then it's a private organization, like a private member of the Veris community, the Veris Coin Foundation. So it's not a public, you know, run fund or a DAO or something. But all its purpose is and what it's done for the past four years is just, you know. Uh, direct funds and pay bounties and and just, just basically a non-profit with the goal of of helping this protocol serve the world and so when you say how do we scale well we already actually with this new uh PBAS release we we scale uh as much as needed actually and so and 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 then how would you use it for a community well any size community whether it's a country or a municipality or you know a community in africa or you know a group i mean a, it could be any kind of organization companies um you know when you think about the value of a user in the identities in africa sure you might say all right yeah they're low value right now but the reason that I know that Google was trying to expand into Africa and Microsoft and, and other countries with services that include, you know, identity and advertising and this is because, you know, if your time scale is long enough. Maybe the net present value isn't really as low as it seems. And so, you know, when you think about what can countries or communities do there with this network, they can make their own network would pay nobody and have the people actually run it by mining it on their mobile phones or on their computers. And those can be currencies that they use in their communities that they don't pay us, they don't pay anybody. Maybe they'll have some people there who will, you know, learn enough about the network that they're running to be able to change and contribute and improve on it and become part of the broader network. And this kind of goes to that point of if you touch someone with the old Web2 internet, you know, in a developing part of the world, you drain money from them. And and this is like, there's no VC who's going to be, well, I don't know if no, but none that I know of, they're going to be interested in funding any kind of a venture that doesn't look like it has some form of sustainable advantage, some form of asymmetric opportunity. I mean, you know this. And, and that isn't what we need in public infrastructure. That isn't really what... Developing the developing world doesn't need loans. They need a way to build the infrastructure that they need. And the more they can do it without loans, the better. And so what this does is, you know, it allows them. It, it, here's an interesting thing. I'm just going to say really quickly. I know I've went way over um, and I really appreciate this uh, 
Francine and uh, and Hyman. Um, but the but the model of starting a project, you do have a an on chain fee for launching a currency, and that'll be on chain on the new chain, and none of it goes to the Varus chain. But if you're starting it from the Varus chain, which is like your first blockchain, there's a fee to do that. Um, it's right now in the range of a few thousand dollars that go into the fee pool for the blockchain that get distributed out. So while you're doing that, you probably want to be mining, you know, staking. And then when it launched, when your chain or network launches, half of the fee you paid actually comes out on your chain to encourage people worldwide to support the security and mining of your chain as a public chain. If it's a public chain, if it's not, then you basically get half of it back if you want. Yeah. So um, Michael, and and follow up, quick follow up, yeah, because Stellar, yeah. for instance, Stellar, I know very well. I know uh, Joyce Kim was a founder and uh, Jed McCaleb, who also was a founder of mm -hmm. X Ripple, both of them. They, you know, they visited me in, when I was living in Kenya. Stella has an interesting model where, of course, they're a nonprofit foundation, right? That's a, I'm wondering if Veris got that inspiration from Stella because, no, but no. now actually they have quite a big war chest of money down the line to be able to fund. I, I, I meet people in Zanzibar, in Nigeria, and yeah. Kenya who who have said, "Yeah, I, I've got money from Stella to build this product, you know, build out this in my country in Cameroon or whatever." So I'm wondering if that's the model you're going to be trying to fall, follow. Is that maybe a foundation? No. that no, it isn't the that, model we're oh, going to follow no. at all. No, we're not going to follow that model at all because uh, I don't believe in that model. And I think that what's really going on is they're buying your future. They're just buying your future, you know, and, and they see the net present value differently than you do. That's the only reason they're giving you money. And it's not that I, I don't believe that actually Stellar in the way that they started is a fair. It, it's not. A, I don't believe that it's a fair law. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I shouldn't speak about other projects i do not we're not like stellar at all we do not pay for adoption because we have what i believe is the best fundamental solution that enables um a self-sovereign approach to ownership for the future for humans and the vision paper was not a white paper because in order to make this work this is a worldwide project. We're putting it, I mean, I volunteered for four years, nonstop, full-time, as many, many people in the community have, more than volunteered, donated and volunteered. And, you know, this is a model that actually will work and provides a sustainable foundation for people who use it. And there's an opportunity to, what I was going to say is, if a community starts a blockchain and they're going to do their own identities and they're going to do their own like payment network and everything else, so they don't have to pay some percentage to anyone involved in that process besides their own community. They generate value. They can keep it in their community and they generate that value and they don't pay anyone in the future for rent. They don't give away their data. They don't sell off their future by taking money now to just make it happen, but they don't have to pay to make it happen and they can earn. And while they're earning, while that community is earning, they can merge mine up to 21 other chains, including Varus. And so they can actually earn money while they power their network off of 21 other networks around the world to help subsidize their launch. And that doesn't come, we're not like a, a giant investor who took a whole bunch of money. The nonprofit 
took donations. You know, it didn't take an ICO and dump billions of dollars into the ICO so that we could then take over the world. We're really they, trying they to give, mo- yeah. yeah, they took 200 million from from Stripe, if I remember correctly, which, which was very odd. I think was it a tw- I think it was 20 million actually, 20 million dollars from Stripe. All right, let me get in here because I'm going to close the room. I have another engagement and my blood pressure is through the roof from being cut off by tech bros. Um, I love you all if you are. Okay, I think we should. (laughs) Sorry. If you are part of the regular Karma Club community, thank you for sticking it out. It's worth it because you need to learn these things. And next week, we will have a, a, a much more um, general non-tech discussion on how to learn them um, without, you know, getting into whose technology does what and is better. The, my view of everything from the Karma Club perspective is that the best technology is invisible. And I think Michael said that at a point uh, when he when he first started explaining. So and thank you, just everybody. As, and Francine, and, just uh, before we leave, I think we should address, I mean, the Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas, thank you again for joining us. And I don't think uh, anything that was said, uh, sorry, just if anything's uh, upset anyone, we just want to make sure that, you know, in this room, everyone's, it's a safe space. And I think the, this conversation was great. I mean, there's a lot of things I've note, wrote it down that I don't even know. So I will be Googling this and thank you all for sharing this. And I know there's a lot of experts here and there's also a lot of learners and so forth. And sometimes also, it was also a longer room that we anticipated. We typically go only one hour typically in Karma Club. And, and now you know why. Right. Okay, um, I need to ask a question. Nicholas, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, can you please check with Mike if he's still available to want to continue the room in the next room? I think what we'll do, in all honesty, is we'll uh, we'll have another room on yeah. tech news and, and that we can do a technical room and then people can ask technical questions. Yeah. Uh, there's I, a I room pin on top that continues after this. You want to do this or you want to reschedule another day? I'm, I'm Mike, actually a carry little on? bit late for what I'm yeah, I think going to be able to. Yeah, ideally, really it'll be good it. to and, take and a break. Francine, I had no intention to make this stressful for you and or anyone. And um, really do appreciate the time and the opportunity. To yeah, I'm, I'm stressful so trying to moderate <laughs> no two different communities at the same Understood. time yeah. that yeah. don't yeah. necessarily have a lot of common interests. Yeah. And I don't think anything. Michael, you don't have to feel so bad because initially this idea was started from Tech News Club, which is a bunch of tech geeks. Um, and uh, Dr. Francine uh, offered to do it uh, in her club, so that's the reason why we are in this club. So you don't. Well, have thanks to everyone. Yeah, thank really you, Michael, and thank you, Nicholas. And Michael, I'm so happy. Thank you, to Michael. You, you are awesome. You know a lot, and uh, and I'm privileged to have learned. And next week, I'm going to try and. Uh, convince a room full of golden retrievers <laughs> that this is a technology that eventually will also benefit them. So that's thank great. You. I have a golden retriever. So and, and oh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! I think if you get a golden retriever to adopt this, I think the technology will fly. Oh, totally! Or just as I'll, a spokesperson. <laughs> Take care, all. But I, I really appreciate all of your time and all of your energy. And I just want to tell you, as I always tell you, that I love you all for sharing your time and attention 
with the Karma Club. And you can follow us on Linktree in our Geneva room, and you can follow us on Clubhouse, and you can follow us on lots of different platforms where we keep the community going and a lot of different things happening. So thanks again, everybody. I will see you next week, except for uh, those of you who will be in the tech newsroom. <laughs> and I'll see you in the tech newsroom. Thanks again. Take care, all. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.